Let's read together 1 Samuel chapter 27. In this chapter, once again, we see David faltering in his faith as he returns to the Philistine king Achish for protection from King Saul. Let's begin by reading the first seven verses. 1 Samuel chapter 27, beginning at verse 1. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maak, king of Gath. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. Then David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. Let's begin our study of this chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 27, with some background notes. The second half of the book of 1 Samuel could be entitled, The Ups and Downs in the Faith Life of David. We certainly have seen David on the mountaintops, as well as in the valleys in his life of faith here in 1 Samuel. Think of his victory over Goliath in chapter 17. What a mountaintop of faith. Young David with a slingshot going against an armor-clad, battle-hardened Philistine giant. And David prevailed because of his faith in the Lord. But four chapters later, in chapter 21, we see David in the Valley of Despair, running from King Saul and going over to the Philistine king of Achish and pretending he was crazy. You remember that? This was certainly not a highlight in David's life of faith. But God delivered David. And once again, we see David on a mountaintop of faith at En Gedi in chapter 24, where he spared Saul's life, knowing that this was the righteous course of action. David knew that the Lord would protect him and plead his case. But then in the very next chapter, in chapter 25, we see another low point in David's life of faith, in his dealings with Nabal. When David almost took his own revenge against Nabal and Nabal's men, he was certainly not depending on the Lord and was not strong in faith. But then one chapter later, in chapter 26, we see David back on the mountaintop of faith, when in full dependence on the Lord, he again spared the life of King Saul in the wilderness of Ziph. Remember what David said to King Saul at that time in chapter 26, verse 23? May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. 1 Samuel 26, verse 23. Now, you don't make a statement like that if you're not walking by faith. But now, here in chapter 27, again we see David down in the valley of little faith. He's gone back to King Achish of the Philistines for protection. We don't read of David praying about this decision or consulting Abiathar, the priest who was with him and had the ephod. 
And this lack of faith leads David into further problems, including lying to hide his activities, as well as almost going to war against his own people. We'll see that the Lord had to rescue David from this valley of little faith. So we certainly see David going up and down in his life of faith and dependence on the Lord in these chapters. But before we come down too hard on David, we must confess that when we look at our own lives as believers, we are not always strong in faith. In fact, many of us spend far too much time in the valleys of little faith. We don't pray enough. We try to do things in our own strength. We fear for our security. We are unwilling to step out in faith in spiritual battle. We depend more on the world than we do on the Lord. So all of us can identify with David here in his failure and lack of faith and lack of dependence on the Lord. And that brings us then to our doctrinal points for 1 Samuel chapter 27. Doctrinal or teaching point number one. Believers can make the same mistake more than once. Believers can make the same mistake more than once. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, we saw the first time that David went down to Achish and the Philistines for protection. If David had not feigned insanity, he could have been killed by the servants of Achish. Now you would think that David would have learned his lesson, but fear makes you do some things that you thought you'd never do again. David went back to Achish and the Philistines for protection. Can you believe it? Yes, we can believe it, because believers can make the same mistake more than once. Remember Abraham. Abraham went down to Egypt in a time of famine, and because of fear for his life, he lied about Sarah, his wife. But we read in Genesis chapter 12 how God graciously delivered Abraham from the consequences of his mistake. But then in Genesis chapter 20, we read how Abraham made the same mistake again when he went down to the land of the Philistines and again lied about Sarah because of fear for his own life. Once again, God graciously delivered Abraham out of his dilemma. We look at these accounts and say, how could Abraham be so blind? And how could David be so faithless? Listen, just as they made the same mistake more than once, so can we. That's what the Bible is teaching us here. Be warned. Believers can make the same mistake more than once. Doctrinal point number two. Believers should not justify the means by the ends. Believers should not justify the means by the ends. Verses 8 through 12. And David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites the Gerzites, and the Amalekites, for those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as you go down to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. Whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. Then Achish would say, Where have you made a raid today? And David would say, Against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of the Jeremielites, or against the southern area of the Kenites. David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore he will be my servant forever. 
the ends do not justify the means is not a verse in the Bible, but it is a general biblical principle and certainly taught and illustrated here in 1 Samuel chapter 27. Now, from the perspective of human reasoning alone, it looks like David was making a wise move to go once again to the land of the Philistines. After all, Saul would not chase him there. He could ask Achish for a city in the country and set up a military base to operate from. And Achish did give him Ziklag. Here David's two wives, Ahinoam and Abigail, would be protected. Here others could join David and become part of his fighting force. In fact, we read in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, that's exactly what did take place. I'm reading 1 Chronicles chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Now these were the men who came to David at Ziklag, while he was still a fugitive from Saul, the son of Kish. And they were among the mighty men, helpers in the war, armed with bows, using both the right hand and the left hand in hurling stones and shooting arrows with a bow. They were of Benjamin, Saul's brethren. 1 Chronicles 12, 1 and 2. Read on in this chapter, 1 Chronicles 12, and you'll see a listing of all those who came to David at Ziklag. From Ziklag, David made raids on some of the ancient enemies of Israel in order to provide for his troops. So from the perspective of human reasoning alone, it looks like David was making good decisions to accomplish the good ends of protection for his family and building up a larger base of support for his future kingdom and finishing the job of eliminating Israel's enemies that should have been done at the time of the conquest. But what about the means of accomplishing these ends? We don't read of David depending on the Lord or being directed by the Lord here in the land of the enemy. In Hebrews chapter 11, we do not read that by faith David went down to the land and king of the Philistines. We don't read that. Furthermore, David and his men became mercenaries for Achish, a pagan king. And David practiced lying and deceit with Achish. Furthermore, David's raids were massacres, resulting in great carnage, not because David was fighting at the Lord's direction, but merely to cover his tracks so that Achish would not know what David was up to. It is not a pretty picture, and certainly not the testimony of a believer walking by faith. Believers should not justify the means by the ends. Now what about practical application from 1 Samuel chapter 27? Try to see your dilemmas coming before they face you. Try to see your dilemmas coming before they face you. Have you ever been faced with a dilemma? Chances are you could have avoided it if you had looked ahead and seen it coming. In 1 Samuel chapter 29, David will be faced with the dilemma of fighting for Achish against his own people, the people of God. David should have seen this dilemma coming. Did he really think he could hire himself out to Achish the Philistine, the enemy of Israel, and not end up fighting Israel? We say, how dumb can you be? And yet we do the same dumb things. This has many applications in all areas of life. For example, we get ourselves into financial dilemmas because we don't budget our money, or we don't control the use of our credit cards, and we buy cars and homes and furnishings and vacations beyond our means. And then we wonder why we are in debt. We should try to see our dilemma of debt coming and do something about our spending habits before the debt is upon us. 
Now, that's an obvious example, and all of us need to be warned about the possible dilemma of financial debt. But what about some examples that are maybe not so obvious? Our country faces a moral crisis. Standards of decency and morality and human dignity are disappearing. How come? Well, it should be obvious, but apparently it is not obvious to our lawmakers. We've turned away from God and biblical values and standards. When God is asked to leave the classroom and the campus and the courtroom, he leaves. God is a gentleman, and he does not stay where he's not wanted. No wonder our country is experiencing moral decay. As a nation, we did not look ahead and see the many dilemmas we would face when we severed our ties to biblical values and standards. And then there are dilemmas that are closer to home. Christian parents should look ahead and see the dilemmas they will face when their children grow up in this secular world. If the Christian parents live a materialistic and worldly lifestyle with very little time or service for the Lord, they should not be surprised if their grown children do not follow the Lord and end up marrying unbelievers. And if Christian parents do not take control of the education their children are receiving, they will face the dilemma of their grown children believing and supporting theories and causes that are unbiblical and contrary to the Christian worldview. Many Christian parents have learned the hard way because they did not look ahead. Try to see your dilemmas coming before they face you.